Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Let's jump into it. We're leaving the burning bush very, very, very soon. This week or next week is my guess. Um, we've been preparing to leave the burning bush, but now we're actually going to leave the burning bush. We are on the fourth chapter of the book of Exodus, book of Shemot. We just finished verse 20 and the Rashi within it um, and did a lot of interesting work on it. I'll read the verse again to give us some momentum, and then we'll really start looking closely at verse 21. Chapter 4, verse 21. Uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 20. One second, more people are coming in. Uh, so I suppose they actually already had the burning bush, but we're about to actually leave the extended scene of the burning bush because God's going to speak to Moshe one more time, as we're going to see. Moshe took his wife, and his children, and he drove them on the donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. Uh, we discussed for a long time whether that Vayashov is specific in the sense that it is just Moses who returned um, and the and therefore the Vayarkivim Alachamor means that he drove his family back to Midian. Certainly the verse in the opening lines of Parshat Yitro where the Torah says, Achar Shiluchecha, that Moshe comes back from Egypt after her being sent, after Tzipor was sent away, suggests that's the case. And Moshe took the staff of God in his hand. And we discussed through Rashi that this is not that he hadn't taken the staff before. He didn't go back to Midian, to the burning bush and get it. Almost like a pluperfect, that he had taken the staff of God with him. In case you're wondering, reader, what's happening next, he's now moved from being uh, a family man to being a prophet. And he has the instrument of his prophecy and of his national leadership in his hand. Um, so we spent a long time with that, and I want to mostly move forward, but I got a uh, hand up from Norman Rachel, so let's hear what you got to say. It seems to me that he couldn't really have left them there um, in Midian because we're going to find that Zippor is with him coming up, and the children, or at least that is, but there is a question, you know, we, I think we talked about perhaps how it is that now he's got sons instead of one son, um, we never really heard about the second one. Um, so, but it seems to me that he didn't abandon being a family man. He didn't even take a leave from being a family man. He actually takes them with him um, as he goes. Yeah, someone brought up last week, right, what a, um, a, a biblical critical view of these verses might be, the JEPD view. The, the, one of the classic um, sections of Torah that gets exposed to a biblical critical view is the story of Joseph being sold uh, into, sla- into slavery because it's actually hard to draw a single narrative through all the verses and the names of the people who are involved, you know, the, Midian- the Midianites and the Ishmaelim and the, the Socharim. So that is a chapter par excellence to say, might this have been woven together and we see the scars. This is not nearly as uh, infamous, but you can ask some serious questions on it. The ones that you just raised, um, the, the, the question of um, the, the, the order of things. Is this one story out of order? Is this uh, uh, a woven story where one version of it has him bringing his family into Egypt 
and one or one story had a version of it where we actually see him being driving his family back to Midian. And you're right that that if the Vayarkivim Alachamor that he drove them on the donkey, and then Vayashum Arts Mitzrayim he went to Egypt suggests that where he drove them was to Midian. Then the weird story, which is weird in its own right, coming up makes less chronological sense. So there are. Um, there are theorists that wonder what's actually going on here in terms of the uh, the order and and where we're supposed to place each of these characters at every specific part of the scene. Um, just the English in verse twenty, Moses took his wife and sons and mounted them on an ass, is very reminiscent of Jacob when he leaves uh, Levant. Yes, after, right. Um, when he's when he's when he's fleeing, correct. Just um, um, bringing the family with him, and even the verb "bayarkivim" is interesting because you translate as "mounted." Uh, Everett Fox translates it as "also mounted," because the root is "rachav," "resh chafbet," which means to ride. To ride like to 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 ride on an animal is to be is to. Rochev al-Hamor, Rakevet, right, is a train because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mode of transportation. So Leharchiv, the hefil of that, could mean to drive them, to, to, to move them um, on the donkey, but it could also mean not to move them somewhere, just to place them on the donkey since they're ready to move. So even that changes the scene, right? Does, does Vayarkivem al-Hamor mean he, he, he planted them on the donkey and therefore, Vayashov Arts and Mitzrayim is the whole caravan went towards Egypt. Or as Vayakivim Alachavor, he drove them somewhere on the donkey and then he went to Egypt, right? So it even uh, um, rests on how we're supposed to define the verb Vayakivim. I'd be interested to see if any of the translations have a translation of that word that doesn't mean mount, but actually means travel somewhere. Part of that, though, is he, it's not that he goes to to Egypt, he returns to Egypt. His wife and children, they're, they can go to Egypt, but they can't return because they've never yet been there. Right. We discussed and that last week. Great. That's a, that's a, that's a great um, um, pre- uh, precise read of Vayashov. It's not just that it's singular. It has to refer to someone who had been there. Wonderful. Some of this will be unresolvable, but these are great questions to raise. Uh, Joanna? So we ended last week with, um, you know, a quick look at the Rashi and then, you know, class was over and we got off the line. And one of the comments you made as we were doing that is um, Rashi references this prophecy from Zechariah that Mashiach is going to come on a horse. And doesn't it seem like role reversal here? We want to see Moses, the Redeemer, on the horse and not Zipporah. And I thought it was a fascinating comment because it triggered for me a huge um, emphasis on what's yet to come with Sipora. And it struck me, first of all, that there have been so many times in these last number of verses that we've wanted to look ahead to that episode, that we've seen that coming. And maybe this is a foreshadowing of Sipora as Redeemer. And if that's the case, there are some very interesting sort of parentheses to the narrative, I think, because um, the narrative starts with the, of the redemption of Egypt starts with the blood of circumcision and ends with the blood of the Passover sacrifice. 
And my understanding is um, when we say that line twice in the Passover Seder, it's a reference. I've always read it as, you know, seen commentaries that it's a reference to circumcision and the sacrifice of the Paschal lamb, but never specifically referenced to this episode. And all of a sudden it becomes very interesting parentheses around the Exodus story. And then the first mitzvah given to um, to the people once they leave in Sukkot is the mitzvah of Pidyona Ben. So all of a sudden there's like sort of now the brackets around that, around redemption. And then in a more wide lens view of the biblical narrative, if you think ahead to Joshua, for years I've always thought of like, you can almost see a continuous narrative from the crossing of the sea and the splitting of the sea to the splitting of the Jordan River. But what happens right after they cross the Jordan River? The circumcision. So all of a sudden, around those parentheses is the brackets of the Tzipporah's circumcision of her sons and the circumcision that takes place at the end of the redemption narrative. And it starts to place huge emphasis on a couple of verses with this image of Tzipporah on the horse as a redeemer that... um, you know, never struck me until we looked at that last week. Mm. So rich, Joanna. Thank you for that. Um, I, try, I, I want to respond to all of it, but I'm not going to because I, I, I want to I move forward and, and, and give others a chance as well. But there's a lot of rich material there, including this notion that maybe it's not accidental at all. And maybe it's conscious or unconscious and Rashi bringing us as a Haria of that, that we're leaving the burning bush and going towards Egypt with the image of of um of Tzipora on the donkey but you said something else that i wanted to bring up oh um that's in the brit in the ritual of the bris but i've not unless i'm having a very strange brain funk i'm not sure where you're referencing it in the pesach seder where where are we where do we hit in the pesach seder can't hear you yet i'll I may pull out a Haggadah and try to find it in a moment, but it's in that paragraph of the, you know, the exposition of all the phrases of redemption. It's definitely there. I've actually read commentary that connects it to Tsipora. No kidding. Yeah. This this makes it even more interesting, right? You can live, you can live 49 (laughs) years and be at Seder 49 years. I, if you had interviewed me 11 minutes ago and asked me (laughs) if the phrase of Omerlach, but the Maya Chayiz in the Haggadah, I would have said no. So that maybe just talks about like what our family focuses on and what we've jumped over. But that's really fascinating. And you say more about that, um, Tova, that you've read in the commentaries on the Haggadah that connects in that. In the um, Art Scroll Haggadah, there hmm. is a commentary on that verse that specifically relates it to Tsipora and the circumcision. Wow. All right. So um, we may, we, we've never had more of like a anticipatory tension regarding uh, a small scene than we now have for Sipora and her Flintstone. Um, so uh, I hope it's satisfying we actually get there. But thank you for that really rich comment, Joy. And I love how it it, it just kind of bi- built out the parentheses and built out the parallels um, in this massive story of redemption. Wonderful. Uh, Micha Goodman, uh, who I referenced in my sermon this past Shabbat, he, he would love that kind of a read of, of text and, and, um, and comparing scenes that we don't often think of as being related as being very related. Okay, uh, Rebecca Menes. Um, 
taking a step back, you'd asked if there's other if there are other translations that may separate the support the, his family. And in I have the very old fashioned Hertz, and it does uh, here it says, and Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he took the uh, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod. So I feel like. This translation is sort of separating the two groups a little bit more. Yeah, um, still reading by Archivim as set them as opposed to drove them somewhere. But yes, it, um, it's even the punctuation or the way you read it suggests that it's that it's they're put on an ass and he goes this way. Yeah. Good. Uh, OK, anyone else before we move on to the next verse? And thank you for the quote from the Haggadah. I'm going to have to focus on it this year telling you is like. I, I've, I know I've read those words. It's never registered for me. I always associate those words as bris words, not Haggadah words, but thank you for that. Okay. Uh, verse 21, uh, right? That's where we are. Uh, Renee, do you want to read? Vayomar Adonai Moshe belachtecha lashu mitzrayma ra'ei kol ha-moftim asher shamati bayadecha samti. It's uh, to, to place, not to hear, samti. Ah, samti. Be'yadecha be'asitem lifnei farov v'ani achazek et libo v'lo yishlach et ha'am. Okay. So you can translate. So, Hashem said to Moses, when you go and return to Egypt, see all the wonders that I put in your hand and performed before Pharaoh. So va'asitam, and 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 I will perform them. The am ending there is the referring to the moftim that I all the wonders that I'm going to place your hand va'asitam, and you will do them before Pharaoh. And I'll strengthen his heart, and he will not send out the people. Good. Okay. So um, so what do we do with this first? First of all, where do we place in the story? Right, ain mukdamu mucharba Torah, but where is God speaking here? I'm, I'm, I should be asking you for the question, but the question that jumped to mind is, where is God speaking to Moshe? Is this on his way leaving the burning bush? Is this after he's separated from Sipora and the kids? And what do you make of of the content of what is being communicated to Moshe, specifically in the aftermath of the of the of the way in which he left the burning bush? So I see lots of uh, hands: uh, Diane, Larry, then Elon, then Norm, Rachel. I'll just be real brief. Two, two, two quick things. Um, <clears throat> one is uh, um, language. So, sorry, I just lost my place here. I think because we have this um, again in the mm-hmm. verse. We, we have, <clears throat> I mean, I have, to, I have to assume it's simply idiomatic. We shouldn't make too much of it. Maybe it was at least for the for this particular scribe or in the language of some time, simply the way you said to return or going back. So we see it so often. I'd be curious to know how many times we actually see it you, in the. You uh, just said it in English. Yeah. Go back. Go back. Yeah. There you go. I said it in English. <laughs> go back. So, but I just want to point out there. But the other thing I want to say, just very briefly, I was the one that did the that made the comment last week about the biblical the. Um, critical biblical um, approach to things, to me, it's just absolutely clear 
that this is the continuation of the burning bush story and it's been pieced together. And if you skip the middle part, skip the last two verses, or maybe it's two and a half verses, and you, I forget where it was I picked up on, I think it was verse verse 17. Right, if you, if you continue with verse 17 before the sixth Aliyah, and then just jump back over here, it just, it's seamless. So yeah. Right, and if not, you have to imagine... Uh, yet another miniature scene, a two-verse scene before the next miniature scene, the scene with Sipporah that we're referring to, where there's another revelation where Moshe is re- God has re- revealed God's presence to Moshe for two lines, right? So in verse 20, we've got whatever is happening in terms of Moshe going somewhere with or without his family. Verses 21, sorry, 21, 22, 23, you have another revelation, which you're saying is either happened at the burning bush or appended to the burning bush and got placed here, or it's happening somewhere else because then already in verse 24, we're on to the Zipporah story. So we have to, if, if, if you had to um, make a movie of this chapter of Torah, you'd have to make a decision where to stage these three verses, right? Um, because the Torah doesn't tell it. And there's no Vayera Adonai El Moshe, that God revealed God's self or made God's self appear to Moshe. It's just a, continu- a, a seeming continuation of conversation, but having been interrupted by the movement of verse 20. Good. Elon? So I actually, I find this verse disturbing on a number of levels. The, the, the first one clearly uh, from a philosophical basis is the complete lack of free will on Pharaoh's part, but um, we will cover that in subsequent verses. But it also strikes me as interesting that in the previous X number of verses, God has been working to convince Moses to go back uh, to Egypt and essentially saying, I've uh, I've got your back. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be good. And now he's saying, well, actually, you're going to go there, you're going to perform these miracles, and uh, Pharaoh's going to tell you to show it. So, you know, it, it would seem that if you have somebody who's already um, not ultra confident about what about the mission they're about to embark, that this is not going to uh, add to that confidence. Good, good, good point, Elon. And not, not to steal a tiny bit of Rashi's thunder, What's the main anxiety that Moshe exemplifies and that God tries to calm in the primary scene of the burning bush about the mission coming up? Who is is Moshe primarily nervous about? Asking anybody. The people of Israel. Yeah, right? So the the, the back and forth and the back and forth, the I'm, I'm slow of speech, I'm heavy of tongue. It doesn't seem to be his being nervous to speak in front of a king it seems to be his being nervous to be speak in front of the people. And it seems to be that the signs that Moshe is being sent with is to convince the people. So Rashi is going to play with that as well. But you're adding to that, Elon, not only has God left Moshe following the bring, but equipped, hopefully to deal with the anxiety he has about convincing the people. He now at the very end or, 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 in part two, if this is happening somewhere else, adding on, I think, I haven't, I didn't go back and check word for it, but I think, I think the first time the notion that there's another major obstacle to your mission that has nothing to do with your having put the coal in your mouth midrashically and burning your lips, but that 
I'm sending you into the lion's den and the person is not going to accede to the request. He's going to, he's going to, uh, he's going to reject it and, and not let them go. So it does seem to be right. Um, I don't know the inverse of aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how is the show? So, you know, aside from the, uh, the demonic Pharaoh, not wanting to uh, honor your request, are you, do you have any nervousness about the upcoming mission? And it's being appended here at the end or in a secondary burning bush scene. Good, good pickup. Uh, Barry? Well, just in terms of uh, sequence, um, it, it's in uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, 2, where, where is Moshe at the burning bush? Where is this? Uh, he is at the edge of the wilderness, Achar uh, Hamidbar, and at Yavo Elhar Elohim. Where is the location of that? It's not in Midian. He's, he's outside. Uh, in the area of Choref. And, and, and that's where that is. And, and then he returns to Midian, does the thing, uh, uh, grants leave with his wife. And it, and, and so, and here, uh, in, in our, where we are, Midian. So it's in Midian now where this whole second uh, occurrence, uh, conversation is occurring. Right. To which I would, I would say maybe, right? Like the, it's in a, in a, a part of the Torah where the Torah sometimes goes to lengths to let us know exactly where something is happening. We're even going to find out in that weird verse, the weird set of verses with Sipora. They're, they're on the way to the, the hotel, the way to the lodging. The, this interlude of verses 21 to 24 kind of happen, um, disembodied, right? D- d- certainly dis, dislocated and we, it's left for us to try to figure it out uh, i i might suggest that on the way they're now in the midbar where uh, this is happening they had been on the edge of the achar and now they're they're coming back through that's right that's yeah. right good uh i see tova and then larry diane then renee um just Oh, uh, just to, uh, Elon already alluded to it, but just to add fuel to the fire of the verse with all of a sudden this new obstacle has been thrown to um, Moshe is is the, if you will, the added insult that it's not just that he's telling him Pharaoh's going to refuse him, but that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. It's like, and I'm going to cause him to refuse you, yeah. which seems now, in fairness, a few w- verses from now, which may or may not be the same source. Uh, I just saw Norm's note. Um, there's some reassurance, but it, it does seem to turn what we've been studying for the past months on its head in some ways. Yeah, and as Elon alluded to as well, once we actually get into the encounter between Moshe and Pharaoh, which is going to take, you know, it's going to take us a long time. It's going to take years, literally, because the, you know, the, the plagues take up a, a Parsha and a half. And as we've spoken, a Parsha usually takes us 18 to 20 months. Um, there are all, there are several, many different expressions in Hebrew in the Torah that refer to the hardening of the heart. There's, there's a, um, a strengthening Chazak. There is an hardening, a Kasheh. And sometimes um, God is doing it, and sometimes Pharaoh is doing it to himself. And it does raise important questions about how we understand the Torah is telling the story of a God who um, puts the person who's about to be punished in the very position that is why they're due that punishment. 
And those are really hard theological questions. There are also really inventive Midrashic explanations for that, showing that the Midrash was properly concerned about that and came up with really wonderful ways of of explaining each of those words in a way that does not seem like Pharaoh is a undeserving puppet with God as a wicked marionette um, um, director. But uh, we'll, we'll be do, we'll be looking at that almost every time we see by Yechazek and Raya Libo or, or, or by Yechazek um, Paro at Libo or whatever the exact phrase is. Um, this is the first time that we're, we're, we're getting there. And you're right that um, not, not only is Moshe now being told that not only are the people's willingness to listen to him one of the obstacles, but Pharaoh and God is actually somehow part of that very obstacle, contributing to it. Renee. So I think it may. Oh, we lost you, Renee. We lost you. You went, you went mute. There you go. Okay. Um, it's interesting to me the kind of the dichotomy between his trying, uh, God's trying to, to, uh, build up confidence in Moshe and, and telling him, you know, put all these wonders in your heart, in front of you and you're going to perform them. But that at the same time, he, he has to always kind of throw in a t- dose of, uh, reality by, by telling him that Pharaoh is not going to send the people out. Right. That, it, that it's just not going to be an easy task. Yeah, that it's that it's yeah, that it's not going to happen so easily. Exactly. But he tries to make him confident as well that he's still being he's still the one that's being assigned to do this. Right. And, and he can our, do it. Right. And in our class, easy. we're choosing to be governed by the Sof Pasuk in the sense that we, we we read each verse as its own universe, which I think is lovely because it allows us to linger in it. And then we occasionally we say, but if we read these verses as a group, some of the emotions about it would change. So if you if you honor the Sof Pasuk at the end of this verse, you can imagine Moshe saying, what? What are you talking about? But if you read these verses, which as we've discussed, are, are an odd little collection of verses after the burning bush, within the entirety of the verses is the reassurance that God is going to make sure that Moshe can be successful. It just starts with a recognition that it's not going to be successful from the very beginning. Yes, not yet. Yeah. Uh, Diane Larry and then Rebecca. So, Rabbi, you just took my line because that's okay. (laughs) What I was going to say is this is sort of a throwaway line at the end of a very long conversation. And there's no, I will stiffen his heart, but don't worry because in the end it will all come out okay. And there's also one would expect, given the length of the conversation, that, that Moshe would somehow react and say, wait, what? And that also doesn't happen here. So, um, yeah, it, it certainly opens up possibilities for Midrash. And I think Larry wants to say something too after. Go ahead. Before you say that, Larry, just on the wait what, we had a conversation at our family dinner table last night about wait what, because there's an organization I forgot. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's Oxford. There's, there, there's some organization that publishes at the end of every year the words that they would like to be lifted from the vocabulary of English speakers because they're just doing damage to English and damage to to communication and the the top phrase that this group wants and it's a little bit of a cheeky group wants to remove from English is wait what that wait what should that that way of responding is like wait what 
um, that they want to remove that from English because it's so maddening when you're, when you're, when you're in the presence of someone who, who uses it. Um, but yes, I can imagine, uh, if we, if we don't remove it from the lexicon, Moshe could have said that back to God. Wait, what? Yeah. Good. Larry? Two, two comments. One is, <clears throat> one is a question. What are the three, um, what, what, what are the, what, what are the, um, the, um, the, the the miracles the marvels whatever that that Moses has done that he's supposed to now do before 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 Pharaoh um, and this, but the second one is not a, is not a question it's a comment um, going continuing my theme if if you were to script this thing and you had God telling Moses what's going to happen he would surely say you're going to go back and you're going to you're going to perform um, 10 plagues. You're, you're going to cause 10 plagues. And that's not what he says at all. Not, not what God says at all. Um, and then, as Diane, as everyone has said, for God to say, I'm going to stiffen his heart, that's not the speech that a coach would give to his team. Right? You're going to go down the field, but then they're going to stiffen and they're going to hold you um, to, to go on. And again, I still think that this... Um, because we're piecing this all together, you mentioned earlier that it was um, the editor of a film would have it, would have it really agrees, would have a, um, a choice as to what to, what to do. But I think that also the, the editors who were piecing together all these fragments of these different stories had a lot of choices as to what to piece together. And they were almost like the editor of the film that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, you said a lot there, um, Larry. And when we get to the Rashi, we'll see that Rashi is also responsive to your first question as to what are these signs that are being referred to in the verse that are being mentioned in the verse referring to, because so far the signs we have been seeing are the signs that he's going to use to convince the people, not Pharaoh. Um, we could linger for a while on both like the story, but the message of the story about how God, what God reveals about the difficulties of the future, right? If you remember way back in Parshat Vayechi, that um, God chastises Jacob in a Midrash for wanting to reveal the entire future of the history of the children and tribes of Israel. And some people say that's why the Parshat Vayechi does not begin with a Parsha break. It's, it's the, the first word of Parshat Vayechi is right after the last word of Parshat um, Vayigash. So it's a stuma parsha. It's, it's a blocked parsha because God blocked from Jacob the revelation of, of, um, of what's going to happen in the future. If you remember just a chapter ago that when, um, that there's this interaction between Moshe and God where first, the first, again, in, through Rashi of the Midrash, when Moshe asks for the name to use for the people, uh, as to what what God's name is, it's first Ehiyeh Asher Ehiyeh, and the midrashic understanding of that is I will be them be with them through this travail, and I will be with them through the, any travails in the future. And Moshe intercedes and says, "Wait, wait, 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 that's too much. Even if it's happening, don't they don't want to know that yet? Make make it easier for them to follow you now, and r- rather than let them know that they're going to be terrible troubles in the desert and beyond. And so the name is shortened to just Ehiyeh, right? That I, I will be with you now." 
don't let them know all of the challenging things in the future. And in the, in the couple of verses, probably not today, just a little bit of preview, we'll have Rashi explain that one of the distinctions between God and humanity is that God is more revealing of the hard stuff that God is about to do than humanity is, because God does it, if you think of the book of Jonah, so that people who know the hard stuff is going to come in might repent and avoid it. So there, there are pressures in both directions in the, in the Talmudic mind about whether God is one who encourages unveiling the challenges of the future such that there will be repentance or actually saying the future has to unfold on its own. And, uh, and I, I'm blocking myself and blocking you from revealing it here without even dealing with the question of how this connects to the language of the, of the uh, burning bush. We do have God telling Moshe at the very last moment, by the way, this is going to be a much harder task than I have um, uh, let you know of up until now. Right. So maybe it's very intentional. It's the very end. First, um, God squeezes a yes out of Moshe and is only on his way into Egypt. He says, oh, by the way, it's going to be harder. Or maybe we're supposed to see this as one complete unit, which is what, Larry, you're suggesting anyway. And God is now leaning in the direction of saying, if something's going to be challenging, let the person know about it. Uh, and don't try to uh, sugarcoat it because um, that's a dishonest way of dealing with someone that you're about to um, lay responsibility before. Okay, uh, Rebecca. So I have two slightly contradicting, maybe, um, ideas about the Hosekit Libo. Okay. And um, one of them was sort of a reaction to what Elon said, which was that I, I, the word Hazak is a positive word. It's strengthened. It, it's not really, it doesn't have a, a negative context. And so um, I read that more as I will make Pharaoh more courageous and therefore he may not send the people right away. But it's not so much as, you know, taking away free will, but sort of say, I've made Pharaoh a courageous leader. So that's sort of one side. Uh, on the other hand, about it sort of being a warning or why didn't this come up earlier? Um, if you do look at the whole negotiation there in context of how do I convince the people of Israel that they should follow me out of Egypt? Um, maybe one other step is I'm going to have to make this really difficult also with Pharaoh so that you have an opportunity to really show how, you know, how great I am and therefore convince the Israelites to join you. So again, this is just one of the tools he will use to convince the Jewish people to join him and, and, and leave Egypt. Great. I'm glad you um, welcomed us into the, the question of the basic meaning of Chazak, right? Because going back to Elon's point about how we're supposed to understand God's role in punishing a Pharaoh that God seemed to set up, a lot of it rests on what we're, how we're supposed to, how we understand the phrase of chizuk lev, of the strengthening of a heart. Uh, and for the 176th time, it's a, it, it, the tr translations are impossible. You know, you know, you know what I'm about to say. 
Whatever chizuk lev is, strengthening of the heart in English doesn't do it justice. It does, there's no way that we can possibly know um, what that meant then, right? Um, so since we normally understand strengthen as being a positive notion, and so strengthening a heart would be to help someone muster their courage, it does lead to the read that you just suggested, which is that God is actually going to do a, a tova, a benefit to to Pharaoh and make him a more courageous person. And in his position, how should a Pharaoh show courage by resisting uh, his own workforce leaving, right? Um, but we don't know if that's what chizuk lev is, right? And because chizuk and, and, and the root chazak and kashe seem to be interchangeable in Parshat, Parshat, Parshat Bo and Ba'era, it makes us wonder if the strengthening is more of a hardening, unless we're supposed to wonder if the hardening is more of a strengthening. Unculus is a clue here. Again, Unculus is necessarily correct, but Unculus gives us a sense of what the Aramaic speakers of the era thought uh, the words mean. And Unculus himself is not entirely consistent. So we can look at Unculus every time we hit this phrase, but look what Unculus does the first time we hit this phrase. So if you look at the verse in the Aramaic, when you take yourself to return to Egypt, mituv like lashevet, the, the shin taf uh, changes. Chazi kol moftaya, look at all of the signs. Tishaviti biadach that I've placed in your hand. You may notice that word shaviti like shiviti adonai lenegdi tamid. That's a phrase that's often in front of uh, Arona Kodesh. I place God in front of me always. And you will um, do all these things. The Aramaic Abad, Avad is the same as the Hebrew Asa. You do all these things for libe. I will tokef God's heart. Tokef is a really interesting phrase. Tokef can also mean um, valorous. Right in going back to the Haggadah, the Haggadah, the songs at the end, Takifu Yivne Beto we describe God as Takif, as full of strength and valor. But um, Matkif in Aramaic means to um, r- raise a strenuous objection in the in the Gemara when a, when a rabbi offers an opinion. Another rabbi says Matkif Le Abaye that Abaye like almost attacked him back in the opposite direction. So tokef can be um, uh, giving strength. It can also be sapping strength. It can be attacking someone with a certain amount of strength. And that is actually limiting who they are, not expanding who they are. So what does Uncleus think by Achazek et Libo mean? I'm going to tokef his heart. Does that mean I'm going to actually make his heart more capable to do what he really wants to do, which is to not let you go? Or does it mean that I'm going to attack his heart and make like the Grinch and going to make it, you know, you know, as small as it possibly can be? um, Because if he were his normal self, he might have agreed to the request. Um, Not resolvable, but but a good thing for us to be thinking about, we whatever we think Chazak means, we're probably not correct. And it probably means more shades of things than we normally consider. Um, certainly like chazak, chazak, benit chazak, we know what that means, right? Um, or we know that it's a positive, right? We're not, 
we're, we're not wondering if God is like, you know, if we're, if we're um, talking about an, an, an attack there. And when God says to Joshua, Chazak v'amatz, be, 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 be strong and be of courage, we know that's a positive attribution that God is uh, praying for um, or that God is giving over to Joshua. Uh, I see a couple of hands. Let's go, Leonard Rebecca. Hi. So looking at the Safaria, uh, Birkat Asher lists all the different places where those words are used. There's actually three words. It's Chazek, Kashe, and Kaved. Oh, right. Thank you. Um, and then uh, Chizkuni has a solution for us. On our verse? Yeah. Well, what okay. does it mean to, to strengthen his heart, pardon his heart? And uh, he says, quote, this does not mean that God deprives Pharaoh of the ability to become a penitent and reverse his attitude and cooperate with God's commands if he so wills it. The line must be understood as follows. It will give him additional courage so that seeing my miracles, he will not die from fright until all my miracles will have been performed. This is also how we must understand Exodus 7.3, I will toughen Pharaoh's heart. He will not collapse from fear. And then he goes on. But uh, anyway, so the strength in his heart means he's not going to die from seeing this, but he still has a chance to uh, do things right. Yeah, it's um, so that relieves us from imagining God as the wicked marionette on some level, but it also it also um, opens up another question because in some ways it's even more devious to keep someone alive just so that they can endure more torture. Um, you can imagine, you know, uh, any sort of horror movie uh, that, that, that does a play on that. So as I, I'm looking at the Chizkuni, the original, as you're saying that, and I'm, I'm having a dual reaction to Chizkuni. He resolves in advance the ethical problem of a punishment going to someone who had no control over the sin, which deserves the punishment. But it does suggest that God, you know, that, that image that people sometimes bring up of a, you know, a, a, a cat toying with a mouse, right? Keeping someone alive just long enough to endure yet more horror. Whatever's about to happen with Pharaoh, it's hard for us to make sense of um, as ones who are devoted to that God as it's described in the story. Uh, Barry, then Joanna. Uh, rather than uh, playing with a mouse, um, I see the story here. Uh, 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 God is um, di- dialecting with uh, Pharaoh to uncover Pharaoh's full strength. The, the, the full strength of Egypt should be, come up and be present. Mm. And, and then God's power comes into play. Hmm. So it, it, we have to go up the waterfall. Right. Interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to come down hard on someone who's defenseless. I'm going to, I'm going to shore up the defenses of Egypt so that it's, 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 it's more of a fair fight. Is that how you're reading it? Uh, sorry. Wait a second here. Okay. That, uh, so that the Israelites will see that it, it that the, the full power, that the full power and strength of Egypt has been overcome. Yeah. Great. But, so we have great, to work great. up the waterfall so that we get all the way to the full strength of Egypt and, and then overcome. Great. And there are many people who understand that the signs and wonders that are done in Egypt 
from which the Egyptians suffer are primarily done not to make wicked people suffer, but primarily done to convince the Israelites of the greatness of the God they're about to be asked to follow. Yeah. Joanna? Um, so one of the things that um, strikes me about this little mini episode here is that we don't have Moses's response to it. And if only we did, his response might give us some indication of, if not how God meant how Moses understood it. And um, so that is missing in our text. And I think there's one of two possible, maybe many more, but the two that come to mind is either that kind of wait, what moment that we were having before, really, this is what you're going to you know, do to me, or a sense of acceptance, just like, okay, God, like, I've got the plan now. Mm -hmm. I know that this is getting, it's not going to be a quick deal. This is going to be a bit drawn out, you know, thanks for cluing me in next. And, um, and I think part of that might speak to um, the commentary that Leonard just shared, where maybe Chazak is here to just strengthen Paro because, for reasons that we perhaps don't fully understand, part of God's master plan for this was it for it to be drawn out, not to be a quick affair that Moses was going to show up in Egypt and the next day they were going to be at Kriatium Suf. Yeah. I love your question about how we're supposed to understand the non-response of Moshe here if we if we trust the non-response, meaning if we trust the non-response as not being the result of bad editing, but rather... Um, we have to choose between full acquiescence or puzzled, wait, what? Um, uh, it, 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 it leaves us in, in an interesting place as we imagine Moshe's reaction to this very significant coda to a chapter and a half of an encounter between God and Moshe at the burning bush. Great. Very rich. Okay. Uh, that was just the verse. So now we're going to look at the Rashi's and we're going to see that Rashi has two main things to say in this verse. The second one um, we've kind of uh, dealt with a little bit, so it'll be familiar. The first one is uh, Rashi um, R- Rashi answering a question that I'm not sure it, it needed to be asked, but Rashi is Rashi and I'm not Rashi. So um, let's see where he goes. Uh, Renee, you are the one who was up. Are you comfortable reading the Rashi on Belech the Chalashub Mitzrayma? Yeah. And remember, this is another uh, this is another Rashi where we should try to ask ourselves what is the question Rashi is answering. Rashi is never just elucidating, or rarely. So what he's about to say seems plain. So my question for you is, what is Rashi's question that he's answering? Go ahead. Dash <laughs> al. מנת כן תלך שתהי גיבור בשליחותי לעשות כל מופתי לפני פרו ולא תירה ממנו. Okay. So when you go back to Egypt, Dedra, uh, be aware that it is for this that you will go to Egypt. Mm-hmm. So you'll be a hero on the uh, on the mission. My mission, good. Um, and perform all the wonders before Pharaoh, and not fear him. Great. 
Okay, so the the language, as Renee just brought out to us, is pretty straightforward. That that Rashi is saying that what's being communicated here to Moshe is that know that this is the reason why you're going. Be you know, muster your strength. You'll be a hero on this mission as you're doing all these deeds in front of Pharaoh. Don't be afraid. Okay. So my question for Renee and everyone is. Wait, what? In, in what way is this a response to those words in the verse? Or what problem or lacuna in the verse is Rashi responding to such that this is the answer? Uh, the timing, the timing. Say, say more, say more. That it seems like it's the, it would apply to when he returns to Egypt rather than at the beginning of his journey. So, um, well, the, the at the beginning of the journey back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So maybe this is Rashi saying that maybe this is Rashi breaking down the thing that uh, Larry was suggesting with idiomatic, the lechtacha and lashuv that, that a- as you are in the process of taking yourself back to Egypt, this is what you should be thinking about. Any other possibilities? Is he Tova's hand? And then uh, he's hand? he's or- suggesting that it should have been in the reverse order that, Moshe would have taken the staff and then returned to Egypt rather than return to Egypt and then taken the staff. Okay. But how does that, how does the notion of don't be nervous, you're going to do this heroically and don't be afraid. How does that, those words from Rashi play into that question of being out of order or in order? Mm, okay. I haven't thought of that one. Um, While you're pondering yeah. Re- Rebecca. I think he's returning to the question of why go to Pharaoh when we've been talking about what you would do to convince the Israelites. And so he's saying, I'm sending you to do this so that you don't have the fear of Pharaoh built into your mission. So let's sort of clear that. But I think the, I sort of, that was the question in my mind again. Why is his first mission to go to Pharaoh rather than to the Israelites. And, and so that order is, is being questioned. Good. I think you're getting close. It's in the next Rashi that he's going to be more explicit about why it seemed up until now, the main thing that Moshe has been instructed was related to the Israelites. And now we're, we're re we're um, re evoking or invoking Pharaoh as the reason for this um, this mission. Although from the very beginning of the burning bush, God did say, my people are crying and you're going to redeem them. Um, so it's it could be re- reinforcing that. Good, let's hear a few others. Norm, Rachel, then Joanna. I think that it's, he's previously been told to use these signs and wonders that he uses the rod or the staff for in order to convince the Israelites and it might have been that somebody would concede that he was going to, that Moshe was going to lead a slave rebellion and escape, when in fact Moshe is going to confront Pharaoh, and he has to be told, you're going to use these signs and wonders or others that will also use the staff or may not use the staff or whatever to deal with Pharaoh, not just to convince the Israelites, but once you've convinced the Israelites, you then need to deal with the master of Pharaoh. So that's a really interesting comment, Norm. Um, because, so I, I can imagine reading that verse that way. Most people don't think that's the way Rashi's reading that verse, but that doesn't mean that most people are right. Most people are think that the way Rashi is reading that verse is almost entirely opposite, as if to say, 
tough to put this into words without sounding, sounding clunky. Most people read Rashi as saying that the verse is not saying to Moshe any new information, a new command, a new set of instructions, but rather that a reminder that the reason why you're doing all these things in the first place, Moshe, the reason why you're convincing the Israelites to, to follow you and to, and to, and to, and to trust you is to have this basic mess, basic, um, um, mission to be in front of Pharaoh. And when you're doing it, I want you to feel confident doing it, but that this is not a communication from God to Moshe of a new pe- of, of a new set of instructions. Now, some of this may refer back to Larry's comment, which is maybe this is a material that was, should have originally been within the scene of the burning bush and somehow it got extracted from it. But Rashi is somehow concerned, according to most super commentaries on Rashi, that we not see this as extra instructions, but rather just an exhortation. The word that's used in some of the super commentaries is, This is not giving Moshe a new command. Rather, he is encouraging him. And, you know, nudging him, but nudging him positively. To actually fulfill what he's already been obligated. This is not set of instructions 2.0. That's some commentaries on Rashi. But why would he need that urging and exhortation at a time when he is, in fact, proceeding to Egypt with reasonable diligence and on his way, not expressing fear, just in mitt and trin, and God decides to encourage him? This is not the way our usually very terse Torah operates. Yeah, which, which listen, we've, we've said many times what happens when a, when a medieval and a Talmudic commentator responds to a problem in a verse that a interwoven theory of biblical text would be able to resolve differently, right? That they've got, they've got to make it all cohere without saying it belongs somewhere else, right? So every once in a while, there's a, the, the rabbis will concede and say, this is like a, a pasuk misuras, like a, a verse that has been amputated or got, got rearranged, but, but they certainly can't say this is, source A being woven with source B. So they've got to find an explanation that doesn't resort to that. It wouldn't even occur to their minds to resort to that. Joanna? Um, so I think in part, we, we've discussed that um, this is not a new command, but not only is it a new command, we had this command, but two verses ago, Lech Shov. So why do we need just two verses later, Lech Shov again? And I think what Rashi is emphasizing is the reason given for both Lech Shoves are different. So God is sort of knocking this down. And then again, in a bit that is missing from the text, um, I was just thinking about the fact that I used to um, work quite close to my home. And sometimes if I had a difficult thing to deal with at work on a given day, I would like to take sort of a long circuitous route to work to give myself more time in the car to think about like, how am I going to handle this? What am I going to do? So perhaps something in Moses's demeanor about once everyone was on the horses and they were going on their way, you know, he wasn't moving fast enough. He was hesitating that God had to come and give him another push and quell another reason why Moses might be hesitating. Great. Uh, I love that um, comparison. And then it makes us 
think about what the word re'e means. Does re'e, the verb re'e that God is saying to Moshe, which we translate as see, does it mean that God is saying to Moshe, once you get there and start doing these signs, you'll realize how powerful you are and that will bring up your confidence? Or is this a re'e in the realm of consider, remember, because right? it's the belechtacha. As, as you're going into Egypt, think about the weapons you have in your quiver, right? You, you, you've got these things that I have that I have granted to you, and that's going to make you successful once you get there, right? Um, I, the re'e is translated by Unculus as chazi here, which doesn't help because that's just a, a translation of the root. Um, but it's interesting to think about what we're imagining God instructing Moshe to do. Watch himself as he does it, or you know, watch in his third, the third eye of his mind, imagining it in advance so that he feels more confident as he's about to get there. Joanna? When you just said that the root is translated as chazi, I'm wondering if there's an intent there. Like when you think of like, particularly in the books of prophets, chazon, you know, a prophet, right? It, it's a sense of nivuan, a prophecy that they receive that at somehow at this moment, Moshe is receiving the prophecy. God is sharing with him a little, you know, he is seeing a little bit of what's yet to come. Yeah. Yes. And cigars are sometimes cigars and there's no better way in Aramaic to translate re'e other than chazi. And it may be that the reason why the word chazon is associated with prophecy is because what does a prophet basically do, but look into the future. But yes, that, um, um, I, we, can, we can add that to our understanding of the, of the image. Um, it's 929 and the next Rashi is not short. So why don't we pause here? We got through a verse and one Rashi, not bad. Um, and then next week we'll start with Rashi number two on this verse, which we've actually already been talking about because it's where Rashi is dealing with a question of whether these signs that we had thought were just for the Israelites are now also the ones that he's going to use for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So have a good week, a healthy week. Um, Again, a happy new year and um, see you all soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to TBA.com. LA.org.